Let us pray. Silence in us, any voice but your own, gracious God. And as we continue to journey toward Jerusalem with Jesus, fill us with a word of hope and power and grace and love. All of which we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Our epistle lesson, friends, this morning comes from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippian church, beginning at the second part of the fourth verse of the third chapter and reading through verse 14. Let us hear God's word. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When you are exiled from your home, held in captivity, for what do you long? Do you long for the way things were, the good old days, or do you long for something new, or both? How do we think about the past when we are living into the future? Whether it's our own past, our individual lives, and where they are headed, or our communal life, a church, or a city, or a nation. What's worth holding on to, and what should be left behind? That was the big question as the Israelite people existed some 800 years before the birth of Jesus, living in exile, longing to return home. 
when you've had the chance to start new? What have you left behind and what have you carried with you? What have you thrown out and what have you placed in storage for later? What have you taken with you to the new thing? To be honest, we get a mixed message this morning. The prophet Isaiah, from whom Susan just read, speaking for God, tells the Israelites that God is the God of the Exodus. They're all defining story. God siding with an impressed people and making a way in the sea for them. We know the story well. Remember that story, God is saying. Remember that story, for that tells you who I am. And then this. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? So, do we remember the past and hold on to it or do we forget and let it go? Or both? Or something altogether different? Or better yet, do we understand old things in new ways so that categories like old and new are redefined for us and for our communities? Orange Vanilla Coke. Advertised every minute during March Madness, I think. Sounds absolutely dreadful. But those of you who will remember New Coke, and it was worse. Perhaps one of the biggest disasters in modern marketing history. Because apparently we liked our old Coke just fine. But sometimes the new is the way forward. We know that. Old patterns of behavior need to be shed. Old understandings of things need to reframe. Our culture has difficulty having nuanced conversations right now, but one thing we learned this week is that old behaviors, even when considered friendly and well-intended, might have been neither. Some old things do need to remain in the delete file of history, but not all of them. I've mentioned next church, this effort I helped to establish that's thinking about the future of ministry in the Presbyterian family. First, there is that name, Next Church, and the implication that there will be one, a Next Church, and that it won't look like the last church, it probably won't even look like this church. New occasions teach new duties, the old hymn says, or a song from my college years, every new beginning comes at some other beginning's end. At the next church gathering a few weeks ago in Seattle, we heard a powerful testimony from Corey Graves, a member of the Blackfeet Klickitat tribe who lives on the Yakima Reservation in the state of Washington. Corey directs a Christian Native American youth organization called Mending Wings. And he recounted to us story after story when white people first encountered native populations. They took land and property. And they also took cultures and ways of living 
And they often did so from a so-called Christian perspective. That is to say, everything old was bad, everything new was good, except it wasn't. Those peoples and those cultures had strengths and values before white people showed up that were worth carrying forward. Even when the story of Jesus was introduced into the mix, even as those who carried the story of Jesus did such harm. So what was the old thing in that context, and what was the new thing? Covenant singers over there, do they still teach diagramming sentences in school? What? (laughs) I'll take that as a no. Just as I think they teach now that 2 plus 2 doesn't necessarily have to equal 4, but if you have a strategy to get to the approximate answer, you're doing okay. But anyway, my mom, ever the English teacher, loved diagramming sentences. Our son, the mechanical engineer, took classes in college whose titles I couldn't even understand, let alone the content of them. If you diagram this sentence, you will understand that more is going on than just the new. And if you look at it like an equation, you will understand that A plus B is neither A nor B, but C, or something altogether different. Listen again. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I am doing a new thing, God says. It is happening. It is happening. Your task, your calling, is not to do the new thing, but to perceive it, to discern, to respond. God takes the initiative. God sets the vision, but it only matters as our response allows it to matter. And Isaiah seems to be telling us that it is much more profound and transformative than simply out with the old and in with the new. The priest in Tony Henry's book called Father Joe affirms that the world worships a certain kind of newness. People are always talking about a new car or a new drink or a new play or a new house. But these things are not truly new, are they? They begin to get old the minute you acquire them. New is not in things. New is within us. The truly new is something that is new forever, you. Every morning of your life and every evening, every moment is new. In this sense, the new is also the eternal. I love that. The new is also and always the eternal. That is the profound dynamic into which we are called, whether it's a close examination in Lent of how we live our lives or the ongoing exploration of what's next in our world or in our church. Read the quotation we placed on the bulletin cover from another Catholic priest, the writer and mystic Thomas Merton. There is in us an instinct for newness, for renewal, for a liberation of creative power. We seek to awaken in ourselves a force which really changes our lives from within. 
And yet the same instinct tells us that this change is a recovery of that which is deepest, most original, most personal in ourselves. To be born again is not to become somebody else, but to become ourselves. To become ourselves, that resonates, doesn't it? That we would not throw out the spiritual baby with the bathwater, but rather discern, perceive. What we do remember from the former things and what must become new. At the heart of the story of our faith is this movement from what has been to what is to what will be. It is sometimes called redemption. It is the arc of the Exodus story, a a people enslaved and then liberated by God, an arc that repeats itself time after time, as long as we perceive it. And the Jesus story, our Lenten focus now, as we get closer and closer to Jerusalem, is an Exodus story. We were enslaved to sin, brokenness, separated from God, and Jesus liberated us. So that we can say the old is past and gone, and a new life is begun. Paul's saying the same thing as he writes to the Philippian church, whatever gains I had in my old life, in my pre-Jesus life, I regard as loss. I've lost everything. I've lost everything, Paul says, every old thing, in order to gain the new thing, which is God's righteousness. And Paul's goal is clear. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Callie Plunkett Bruton reminds us that it's not on the past as the past that the prophet wants the people to concentrate. The prophet aims to create an imaginative space in the minds of the people so that their conception of the past can transform their understanding of the present and thus the future. In a seemingly hopeless situation, she writes, the prophet calls on the people not to lose heart, but to look with anticipation for the signs of God's approaching redemption, for the new thing that is coming. But we can't stop there, she says. Do you not perceive it, the prophet cries out, compelling the people, compelling all of us to begin looking around in hope, looking around so that we will not miss the future being born. To view our experience of God's grace in the past as a springboard, so that we can view neither present nor future with fear, but with expectation. We will come forward in just a few moments preparing to receive the bread broken and the cup poured out. And as we do, ask ourselves this. Ask yourself what needs shed in your life, a behavior or an attitude or a paralyzing story. What needs shed and left behind and what needs carried forward? Where does Exodus need to happen? And what will that look like? And then ask what new thing God might be doing in your life. A new habit, a new understanding, 
And do I have the capacity to perceive it, to, to get it, and to do something with it? Memory gives way to hope, Tyler Boyer writes. Memory gives way to hope. Recalling gives way to renewing. God arrives beyond the borders of what was thought possible and begins to do something entirely new. Something new to be sure. Built on a very ancient story, a story of liberation and hope that embraces us if we are open to it. A story we are called to share for such a time as this. Amen.